0: Good morning church. I'm Steve and I'm happy to see you. Would you stand up? As we give God all glory, all honor, and all praise to him. All right?
1: Sun
2: Good morning. You guys can have a very quick seat. My name is Jordan, and we are so thrilled that you guys have come to be with us this morning. Do you guys know that people have been worshiping here at Capital City since the 1960s? Isn't that pretty cool? Huh? Yeah, I like that. I like that. So we got people in here, in this very room, who've been worshiping here for 60 plus years. That's really awesome. We also got people in this room who've been worshiping here for about six minutes. And I think that's pretty awesome, too. You know what? Scripture's very clear on this part. Seniority plays basically no role in the kingdom of God. Isn't that pretty neat? God's grace is extended to you if you just walked in the door or if you've been here since you were born. And that's what's so awesome about this place and that's why we're so happy that you're here. Uh, And we just wanna let you know how excited we are to welcome you to this place. Before we go any further in the service though, I got a couple of things that we wanna make you guys aware of. If you are new to Capital City, uh, maybe you've got questions about who we are as a body. Maybe you've got questions about what it means to be a Christ follower. Maybe you've seen somebody get baptized recently, and you're like, what's that? Like, why are they dipping people in water? That's that's odd. Maybe you are thinking about getting baptized yourself. I don't know what your questions are, but if you've got them, we've got answers. We want to provide a place where you can get answers. So we do this periodically. We host what's called our Getting Started class, and it's not really a class. It's just an opportunity for you to get your questions answered whatever they may be. So we're going to do that today one time immediately following this service and once following the second service. So if you're here now after the service, you can walk straight out into the lobby, take a hard left. You'll see the connections room there. That's where we're going to have it. Uh, just walk in there. It's going to be very brief, very low-key. All right. We don't, we don't want to be intrusive. We just want to po- provide a place for you guys to get your questions answered if you've got them. Now what's interesting about today is that it's going to be hosted by Ben Webb, the new guy. So I suggest that you guys try to stump him. Let's play a game called Stump the New Guy, all right? So if you've got like a deep theological question, just walk in there and throw it at him, and see how he does, okay? I play this game with him fairly often. Basically every time I see him, I gotta warn you, he's pretty good, I haven't stumped him yet. He seems to know his stuff. But you guys can see what you can do. Whatever your question is, feel, feel free to get in there and get that question answered. Second of all, it is Christmas time. If you haven't noticed, it's the holiday season. Right? Anybody else excited? You guys, have, you guys like Christmas? Okay. All right. Good. Well, we got a lot of stuff going on here that I need to make you aware of. First of all, our annual giving wall has kicked off. This is a really cool opportunity we have to partner as the church, to partner with some organizations, nonprofits in our community, to connect people with stuff that they need, okay? So we have, you'll see out in the lobby, our giving wall. It has paper ornaments on it, and uh, each ornament has two things. It has the name of an organization, and it also has an item that that organization needs to connect with somebody who needs it. So the way, the part you can play, if you want to, is you can walk out there, Uh, Look at the ornaments, look them over, select an item that you'd like to purchase, take that ornament with you this week, go out and purchase the item and bring both back next week. And we'll make sure that those items get to the organizations who can get them ultimately to the people who really need them. All right, it's a great, great thing that we can do to impact our community here during the Christmas season. Really excited about that. So get involved with that if you feel so led. Second of all, uh, we got a whole lot of events happening here over Christmas that we want to make sure you guys participate in. Uh, the first one coming up is in a week and a half, not this coming Wednesday, but next Wednesday, the next Wednesday, which would be the 14th. Normally you guys know we have our at 530 on Wednesdays, we have our fellowship meal, and then at 630, our growth groups meet. Well, we're going to switch it up on the 14th. The growth groups aren't going to meet. We will have our meal, uh, but instead we're going to have what we call our good old fashioned family Christmas. Okay, I don't know if you've been here the last couple of years. We do this. Uh, we all meet in here. Everybody meets in here at 6:30. We sing Christmas carols. We play games. Uh, we get the staff involved. They have some competitions, and we mock. I mean, we cheer them on while they do that. It's a lot of fun. Okay, it really is. So I encourage you to be here on Wednesday the 14th if you can be. Uh, and also, Christmas this year kind of interesting. It falls on a Sunday as it tends to do every seven or eight years or so, um, which I think is really cool. We understand that you guys uh, have traditions that you probably want to observe with your family, Christmas morning, all that, that's cool. So we want to make this as easy as we can on you. We're going to have two services. Uh, On Sunday morning, we're only having one service. It'll happen at 10.30. Uh, We're going to do the exact same service in our traditional Christmas Eve time slot at 5.30 the night before, okay? Exact same service. So if you've got traditions that you want to stick to with your family on Christmas morning on Sunday, you can do that. Come to the 5.30 on Christmas Eve. Uh, But if you'd like to worship together as a family on Christmas morning, which I think is really cool, you can come at 10.30 and we'll do that again as well. The one thing I'm going to say to you guys, and they didn't tell me to say this, I'm just going to make a personal challenge. Get your family here for Christmas, okay? It's a really cool opportunity, and I, and I love the traditions. Uh, I love spending time with my family. We're going to do that, uh, but we, we've got to. I know it sounds trite, but we cannot lose sight of the reason for the season, and us being together and worshiping is just one of the coolest opportunities we have to do that, right? So I, I encourage you to do that. It's not about the gifts. It's about the gift, right? And that's, uh, that's what I want to keep in mind. That being said... I personally do really enjoy the gift exchanging aspect of Christmas. Anybody else out there enjoy that? I love giving gifts. If I'm being honest, I don't hate getting them. If you're out there and you see something you think I might like. Uh, And really this started for me, I would say, maybe the same way it started for some of you guys way back in the day. Anybody familiar with that? that? How many of you guys, either you or your kids, were raised on that thing? Okay, yeah? That's the Sears Wish Book. J.C. Penney also had one back in the day, And, and I was, you know, one of the selfish traditions that I really liked as a kid was to get that thing and just sometime in November and just pour through it and dream and wish and make my list, right, and try to actually act like a decent human being for a few weeks, which usually didn't work out, but it was awesome, right? I, and I'll admit, I thought as a 90s kid, as a, as a younger millennial, I thought surely this tradition was, like, our generation was the last one that was going to get to take place in this. Like, with everything going digital, I thought this was over. Little did I know that Amazon saw a marketing opportunity here. They, that's their own version of the wish book. I don't know if that's reached your house yet or not. We didn't have to order it. It just showed up. I walked in one day, and James, my three-year-old, is doing just like his old man, just pouring through that thing. And it's insane. Like, this kid is three years old. He doesn't know how to read, guys, but he can recite every detail of every item in this catalog. I don't get it. Really uh, mildly concerning, to be honest, but Apple doesn't fall far for the tree. My kids, like me, don't have any trouble, it appears, receiving gifts, I don't think think that's gonna be an issue. Furthermore, they don't have any trouble taking ownership of those gifts. And I know this because when I, when I come to them and if I ever have to part them from one of their gifts, one of their toys they're playing with or whatever, maybe it's bedtime, maybe it's, you know, it's just time to go to school, maybe it's time to go brush our teeth, maybe it's time to go to church, I don't know. when I try to part them with their gift, oftentimes they will have the audacity to look at me and say, no, this is mine, right? And that's the opportunity I get to educate them on this subject. No, 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 you don't own nothing, okay? Everything you own is mine. And th- guys, that's not my opinion, right? That is the law. Until you are 18, you are what's known as a minor. You are legally incapable of owning nothing. In fact, I am what's known as your guardian, I own everything you own, and I own you, right? Isn't that the way it is? Well, that message can be pretty easy for me as the parent, as the person in the ownership position, to deliver. It's even a little bit fun, if you can't tell. But when I find myself on the other side of that relationship, it can be a little harder, harder to internalize, right? When I look at the possessions in my life, stuff I feel like I own, even my time, my energy, my body, my life, do I really own it? How about you? Do you really own your stuff, your time? Is it really yours? Is it your body? Is it your life? Or could there be that, could it be that somebody else has a claim on it? Well, scripture has a lot to say about this, and Doc's going to break that down for us here in just a little bit, but I want you guys to chew on that. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you to stand back up, and we're going to go back into a time of worship.
0: Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat?
3: Pray together. Father, we're grateful that we can be here. We're grateful that you're here. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Glad you guys are here. I hope at the end of this thing you will be glad too. I'm going to dive right in this morning, I think, and make some of you guys a little uncomfortable, maybe even a bit mad. But I'm going to ask you to hang on and keep an open mind if you can and see whether or not eventually it starts to make a little bit of sense. So you ready? How many of you guys have seen something like one of these? My body, my choice. Maybe you've used that line yourself. It's my body, my choice, or my body, my rights, or it's not your body, it's not your decision, right? And in case you think I'm playing politics, I found this one, which is pretty funny. It's kind of used by both sides. you got an anti-vaxxer and you've got a pro-choice. My body, my choice, my body, my choice. And she says, finally something we can agree on. Right? (laughs) This one's pretty similar. My life. My life, not yours. My life, my rules. My life, my rules, my attitude. I like that one, right? Or this one, which is pretty much ubiquitous, you're not the boss of me. You don't own me. Who made you God? When I hear that one, I always think of something like this, all right? That's cute. You're not the boss of me. I have no doubt that my kids sometimes thought that about me. Like Jordan was saying earlier, it wasn't smart for them to say it out loud. Of course, then we have this obsession over my rights. Right? I have my rights. Know your rights. I've got my rights. I know my rights. And this one pretty much covers them all. It's my life, right? My choice, my body, my rights. After all, a person has to look out for number one, right? (laughs) Well, what if it's not? What if it's not your body? And I know that that's what you've been taught. It's been driven into you. But what if that is just flat out wrong? It may be your choice. It's not your body. Wouldn't that mean that whatever choice you make matters to the one who actually does own your body? What if it's not your life? It's kind of offensive to say, isn't it? But what if it really is not your life? So what if in reality you are not the boss of you? You think you are. But what if in reality that's an illusion or maybe a delusion? So what if that means that there are some things that are way more important than your rights? What if my fixation on my rights makes me a bit of a jerk? Way littler than I was created by God to be. Hang on, I'm going to try to show you. Just hang with me for a little bit, please. Because I'm going to take you to one of the most un PC texts in all of the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, which is our covenant with God. These words are flat out countercultural today. Uh, not so much back in Jesus today, although they were a bit countercultural then as well. Being countercultural doesn't bother us here at Cap City because we think God's way is better than our culture's way. Do you? It makes life better and makes us better at life. But if you're looking for an excuse to cancel Jesus, I'm going to give you a good one this morning. This text ought to do it. Now, I don't know whether or not Jesus would use the same imagery today because a lot of people in our world, if he said something like this, people would just stop listening to him. They just quit. But there's no way that Jesus would back down on this big idea. Because as controversial as the big idea is, it still defines what it means to be a Jesus follower. This is who we are. This is what we do. So you ready? I'm going to read you this little parable of Jesus, and then we're going to unpack it. Luke chapter 7, verses 7 to 10. Excuse me, here it is. Suppose one of you has a servant, you have a servant, plowing, looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat, right? Won't he rather say, make my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, you can eat and drink. And will he thank the student because he did what he was told to do, or the servant because he did what he was told to do? One more. So you also, you also, when you have done everything you were told, should say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Huh. Suppose one of you has a servant, Jesus says. But in reality, that is not what he wants you to suppose. Suppose you are a servant. That's where he's going. He just kind of messes with you a bit getting there. (coughs) Excuse me. Suppose you are God's servant. Suppose you are my servant, Jesus says. Suppose Jesus really is your Lord, your master, he says. And the word servant is actually a bit weak. I mean, usually when you go to a restaurant, someone serves you. They're kind of acting like a servant, right? But you don't own them. Go to Chick-fil-A, the kids are going to give you this huge smile, and they're like, how may I serve you? But you don't own them. They're just being polite. The word used here is way stronger than that. There are quite a few different words in Greek for servant, because it was kind of ubiquitous in that day. Guys who wrote the New Testament could have chosen a lot of different words, but they kept coming back to the word doulos, doulos, which means a slave, slave. Suppose one of you has a slave, Jesus says. Suppose you are a slave, Jesus says. Well, it's my body, right? My life. You're not the boss of me. I have my rights, right? Right? What if it is really not your body, not your life? What if you are not really the boss of you? This parable is pretty offensive to people like us, isn't it? Now, it's kind of weird that Jesus would shape a story like this because weirdly enough, instead of just telling us to serve God, Jesus talks about God serving us a lot. We like it that way. I like having God at my service. I love it when God says to me, how may I serve you? Right? Isn't that cool? One of the most famous things Jesus ever said was, the son of man, that's what Jesus called himself a lot. He called himself the son of man. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve you guys, to give my life as a ransom for you, in fact. Not cool is that? In fact, when Jesus had his Last Supper with his disciples right before he died, he says, I am among you as one who serves. And we celebrate Jesus serving us every single week when we gather around this Lord's table, right? Apostle Paul put it like this He says, Although Jesus was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, he became a slave. And was born as a human being so he could die for us to serve us. So sometimes Jesus talks about serving us. He talks about God serving us, which is cool, because if He hadn't, we'd be hosed, right? But Jesus says, "Don't misunderstand that. Don't let it go to your head. I came to show you what servant looks like. I showed you what it means to serve, but I am still God. I'm still your God. You are still my servants. You're still my slaves. I mean, how many of you guys have ever said the words, I accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord? You ever said that? You know what Lord means? means master. Did you mean it? Now, I mentioned that it's possible that Jesus might not use this metaphor today because in some ways we don't hear these words the same way that the people who heard Jesus way back then heard them. I don't think Jesus would back off the big idea at all, but slavery was a little bit different in that world than it is in our story. I'm not about to be up here and defend slavery. Jesus didn't defend it the way that we have experienced it, humans with humans. Apostles didn't defend it. In fact, once we Jesus followers finally unpacked the implications of what Jesus really taught, we were the ones who led the fight against slavery. Thank God. But slavery still was a little different back in the world of Jesus, so they responded differently to these words of Jesus. See, in our American story, slavery is about color, right? Slavery is about social standing. Slavery is about the absence of choice. In the world of Jesus, that wasn't always so. You couldn't tell a slave by his or her color. You couldn't tell a slave by his or her clothes. You couldn't tell a slave by his or her education, their social standing, their job. In fact, in the world of Jesus, a whole lot of people sold themselves into slavery because they didn't have the safety nets we have in our world. And as a slave, you had food, you had a place to stay, you had some security. You might even have some status if your owner was a nobleman. It was different back then. In fact, then, a lot of parents sold their kids into slavery. And I know that a lot of you parents are thinking that's probably not a bad idea, right? But back then, they did it because they loved their kids. They wanted their to be sure their kids had food and shelter and a job. And that was a way to get it done. But still, they're slaves. As a slave, it's not my body. It's not my life. It's not my rights. Because someone else is the boss of me. Someone else does own me. And they knew that. People in this story knew that. It was still master and slave. So here's what Jesus says. Let's unpack it. Suppose one of you guys has a servant, and your servant's out plowing plowing or looking after the sheep, because that's the kind of stuff that a servant or a slave might do. Whatever the master needs done. Is he going to say to the servant when he comes in from the field, have a seat, have something to eat? Now, I'm telling you that if my mama was there, she'd have said that. In our house, if I hadn't said something like that, she'd have smacked me in the back of the head, right? But in that world, everybody listening to Jesus would have said, of course not. Duh. It's not the way slavery works back then, even in the best of homes. Wouldn't he rather say, make my supper? Get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, you can eat and drink. And we read that, and we're like, seriously? Because we don't think in terms of master-slave. We think of in terms of employee and employer, right? 40-hour work week or less, labor unions, overtime, time and a half, advancement, raises if you do your job well, employee of the week, stuff like that. And we're like, after a long day in the field, a dude has a right to some appreciation. He has a right to some downtime. He has rights, doesn't he? Because we're not thinking master-slave. No one in the world of Jesus would expect a servant, a slave, to be honored or given special treatment for doing his job. Master doesn't owe his slave anything for having plowed his field or guarded his sheep. And just because a slave finishes his chores outside doesn't mean he can blow off his chores inside, does it? They knew that. They got that. This story isn't shocking anybody then yet. That's still coming. Jesus goes on. Will the master thank the slave? Will he thank the servant because he just does what he's told to do? Now, if my mama was the master of that slave, she'd have thanked him. And if I had snickered, she'd have smacked me in the back of the head, right? But in that world, in fact, the way the question is worded in the Greek course not. That'd be ridiculous. No one in that world would figure that a slave had earned special thanks for just doing his job. Jesus' story wasn't shocking anybody yet. That's still coming. In fact, it's what comes next. Here it is. Here's where Jesus pulls the string. He says, so you guys also, you too, when you've done everything that you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants just doing our duty. In other words, you're not the masters. You're the servants. You're not the owners. You're the slaves. You buy that? Do you understand how God might have the audacity <clears throat> to think He's God? You have to understand how God might have the audacity to think that what you think is your body, he thinks is his. Which means that God does own you. Which means that your rights are subservient to his will. That's what he says. There's a great Bible scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey. When he writes something, I read it. I lean in. He unpacks this Jesus story, and here's what he says. This story teaches us Jesus followers, four things. He says you need to get four things out of this story. Number one, the believer, if you're a Jesus follower, you're a servant, a slave. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, you still are. You just don't get it. So you're expected to obey God, to know your place as a servant. Is that offensive to you? Number two, he says, Your salvation is a gift. God's grace is a gift. God doesn't reward you for services you have rendered. Everything he gives you is a gift. Number three, the servant of God simply does his duty. We don't have a claim on God because we do for him. God doesn't own, owe us anything. It's not about earning a reward. Because, number four, God is the master of the believer. He is Lord. When you call Jesus Lord, it means that you are his servant, his slave. He owns you. Fortunately, he's an amazing master. Now guys, this stuff is hard for us. We don't get it. I think sometimes we get an inkling of it here, but we can't get it here, and we can't get it here. So there are three lessons that I'm going to try to narrow in on, and if you can get these three things, it will change everything for you. Are you ready? Lesson number one, this is reality, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. This is something you acknowledge if you are a Jesus follower. This is the starting point. God owns it all. You buy that? The Bible teaches this over and over and over again. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. You buy that? You really buy that that includes you? And if he is the creator of God, wouldn't that be his right? And I know we don't have to live that way, but that doesn't make it less true. Here's another one of the Psalms, and you've heard this one before, I bet. This one actually is God talking to us. God says, all of the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird of the mountains, all the animals of the field belong to me, God says. We own a little play farm, but we're Jesus followers, so it's God's, really. Our dogs and cats and chickens and cows Julie and I and Tommy and alethea we may have our names on the title, but we're Jesus followers, so it is God's, really. And Guys, it wasn't just that way in the Old Covenant. The New Covenant puts it like this. This is Colossians. Everything, absolutely everything was created through him and for him, right? And how many scriptures do you have to multiply before we begin to get this? Understand it. It means it's all His. God owns it all. God has never relinquished ownership of anything. He's never surrendered claim on any of His treasures. God hasn't died and left the earth to you or to me or to anyone else. It's His. It's a fundamental truth. It's a life-changing truth. As long as I'm confused about ownership, and I'll always be in conflict with God with blasphemies like it's my body it's my life who made you God God Hmm. lesson number two we are what is called stewards it's a weird word that we don't use much it means that we manage for God what is God's in other words Jesus is Lord and we're his servants managing his stuff right? Fortunately, we serve an amazingly good God. Listen to these verses from the New Testament. This is our covenant with God. They define, (coughs) excuse me, who we really are, how we're supposed to live. Romans, we are not our own masters when we live. We're not our own masters when we die. While we live, we live to please the Lord. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. So in life and in death, we belong to God. Do you buy that? He owns it. We manage it. Stack that against it's my body, my life. Or this one, Colossians. Work from your heart for your real master, God, not you, God. Keep in mind that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. He is Kyrios, Lord, Master. We're not. Do you buy that? This one, listen, it's so strong. You don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. He not only owns us as creator, but he bought us with his blood on a cross, Paul says. So it's about stewardship. Stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4. We are servants of Christ, not as masters, and a manager, us, must be faithful. See, guys, it's still his. And he's not just talking about our money, talking about our bodies, our stuff, our gifts, our opportunities. We are stewards of what is God's stewardship. One more implication, big idea that we need to hang on to. Here's lesson number three. There will be an accounting. There will be an accounting. Someday there's going to be a performance evaluation. Someday every one of us is going to stand before God and give an account to Him of what we have done with His stuff, which includes us. Listen to these words from our new covenant with God. This is Romans 14, verses 10 and 12. All of us are going to stand before God to be judged by Him. Do you buy that? And every one of us will have to give an account to God. Do you get that? And that every one of us isn't just for us Jesus followers, guys. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, you still belong to God. It's still not your body, your life, your rules. And someday you're going to have to give an account to God too because He is God, right? One more, Second Corinthians 5. This is from the message. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God regardless of our conditions we will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad, because he's God, kurios, Lord, Master, and we're not. Now, this stuff is hard, I know. It's been hard for us for millennia because there is this powerful part of every single one of us that is kind of like, you're not the boss of me, God. Not even you. It's my life. It's my choice, my body, my rules, my rights. And this whole notion of slavery itself is offensive to us, even slavery to God. But just because it rankles you doesn't mean it's not true. If you think that you're not a slave to something, you're delusional. And if you don't think acknowledging Jesus as your Lord will make your life infinitely better You're delusional. This isn't oppressive, guys. This is what makes life work. This is where we discover our true identity, our true worth, our true purpose, when we bend our knees to Jesus as our Lord. We gain security for the present and this incredible hope for the future when we bend our knees to Jesus as Lord. Because, guys, it's not really about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. Do you get that? It's not really about what God wants from you. It's about what God wants for you. And once we understand that it's all God's, and once we start managing it for God, we will discover a freedom and a peace and a joy that we could never find as long as we thought it was ours a paradox guys joy doesn't come from being served it comes from being used by God real joy doesn't come from being served it comes from serving our God now I've got just a few more words before this thing is done but before I get there bring it home We're going to worship God a little bit together because He's not only our Savior, He is our Lord. So let's stand together and sing.
1: thing and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is coming. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is coming. your cross as you wear for your crown tell the world of the pressure you found
3: moment, I'm going to invite you to go to one of the worship stations to give your first part back to God. This isn't on, is it? We good? I'll just talk loud. (laughs) I want you to understand what you're going to do when you come to the worship station. If you're a Jesus follower and this is your home, you're going to give your first part back to God because it's His. It's His. And that's how we show that we understand that. And you're going to take the bread and the juice, what we call the Lord's Supper, and that's where we remember what our Lord Jesus did for us, how He served us on that cross. But it's more than just remembering and giving thanks. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're acknowledging Jesus as your Lord, as your kurios, your master. You're acknowledging that you're his servants. How are you doing with that? How are you doing recognizing that it's all God's? How are you doing managing what God has entrusted to you, not just in this room for an hour, but 24 7, 365, till the day you meet Jesus face to face? Some of you are like, well, no vacations? Not in this. Some of you are like, isn't there retirement? Not in this. Some people wonder, any credit for overtime, bonus pay, advancement? Not in this. So how are you doing? How are you doing with your body? Have you given your body to God? The Bible says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. They're His anyway says let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will accept so have you given your bodies to God just on Sundays just when it's convenient or are they his how about your stuff have you given your wallet and everything else you own to God the Bible says only the man who says goodbye to all his possessions can be my disciple So does God have ownership of your stuff? Just leftovers? Half, maybe? Everything but your money, perhaps? How about your time? Have you given God your calendar? The Bible says live life, then, with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who don't know the meaning of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time. So are you using your time in a way that pleases your boss? A few hours a week, half the time, most of the time? How about your gifts and your abilities? Are you using those things God has given you the ability to do to make a difference for him? The Bible says God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so God's generosity can flow through you. Are you doing that? And then how about the gospel? The good news of Jesus our Lord. Are you finding a way to share Jesus which is your mission from God? The Bible says God was in this world reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them and this is the wonderful message God has given us to tell others. So are you on mission? That's stewardship, guys. He owns it all. We're stewards, we're managers of what is still God's, and someday we will give an accounting for how we have managed our bodies, our possessions, our time, our gifts, our mission. So before we go to these tables, I'm going to ask you to recommit yourself to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to read these things first, and then I'm going to ask you to say it with me if you will. Here's the first. I acknowledge God that this is not my body, it's yours, and I'll manage it in a way that honors you. Can you read that with me? Together. I acknowledge God, this is not my body, it's yours, and I will manage it in a way that honors you. And I acknowledge, God, this is not my stuff. It's all yours. And I'll manage the stuff you have entrusted to me in a way that honors you. Can you read that with me? I acknowledge, God, that it's not my stuff. It's all yours. And I will manage the stuff you have entrusted to me in a way that honors you. And I acknowledge, God, that there is no me time, really, I will use all my time in a way that honors you. Can you read that? I acknowledge God that there is no me time really, and I will use my time in a way that honors you. And I acknowledge God that everything I can do, I can do only by your grace, and I will use my gifts from you in a way that honors you. Read it with me. I acknowledge God that everything I can do I can do only by your grace, and I will use my gifts from you in a way that honors you." Last one, I acknowledge God that you have given me a job to do, to share Jesus, and I will look for ways to get it done. Can you read that with me? I acknowledge God that you have given a job to do, to share Jesus, and I will look for ways to get that done. Do you mean it? Let's pray. Father, for what you have done for us, thank you. Now give us the courage to give ourselves back to you where we discover real life for now and for forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. You're welcome. hmm
0: will say that it is not enough to just say these words uh, together it's not enough to say them as a a family hopefully you can hold each other accountable as you go out in this world because when we say words like i believe everything i have and everything i own belong to god it's something that should change the way that you act it should change everything you made all these acknowledged statements a few moments ago but i want you to say one more as we leave this place today the things that you believe in say this i believe Everything I have and everything I own belong to God. I would like to say it as if you really are convicted about that. So one more time and we'll send you away. I believe everything I have everything I own belongs to God. Make that so. Make it true. Make it so that when the world sees you, they know that you're no longer yours. Father in heaven, we give ourselves to you all over again today. And tomorrow we'll do the same. And the next day and the next day. And to eternity, Father this is no longer about us and we keep trying to make it about us. We know that this is your plan to win the world. There is a mission that every one of us is on because we've given ourselves to you. We cannot take any piece of it back. I know I've tried over and over and over in my life to try to rip parts of myself away from you and you lovingly say that's not how this works. Be with the hearts of every person here right now. Let them know that they can change the world with your power. If you were in control of everything, what would it look like? But let them dream big. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hope to see you again next week.